Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Sitting with me, as always, is Tatum Tots. Can you believe we're at the end of season three? feels like only yesterday that we started season three. It does. It feels like it, it feels like a lifetime has passed also between the beginning <laughs> of season three. I think I've lived at least three lives <laughs> since the beginning. Season three was 2010, right? <laughs> right? Yes, it was? yes. Okay. I was a little slow on the, uh, slow on the take. Is that what it is? When you, when, when a joke like goes past you and then you reverberate yeah. no, no, into no. it i wish uh, i wish time was um about as slow as <laughs> my reaction as, as, uh, <laughs> as my as your reaction <laughs> yeah i wish it was moving at that pace also um, but how are you doing today i'm i'm good i'm good so for today's episode we actually took a request from one of our favorite historians clice she tagged us in a post about this woman on TikTok, and we couldn't help but think that she was the perfect episode to end the season on. But keep an eye out for some bonus content coming next week, but this is the last, like, biographical episode of the season. Thank you for the request, and we appreciate your request, mm-hmm. and we look forward to hearing um, more requests. Yeah, we look forward <laughs> to getting more requests and doing a couple episodes about them in season four, hint, Woo. hint, hint, Woo-hoo. which will probably come out in uh, 2030? Is that what you said? <laughs> 2030. Yeah. Yeah, 2032, so, yeah. actually. Yeah, because yeah. the next episode we put out will be in five Ten. years. <laughs> because that's how long time is taking. Oh, my and gosh. And lasting. <laughs> well, while we do spend the next few weeks preparing for season four and some other projects that we have at, uh, have at hand, make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms so that you're inspired and up-to-date and... All that goodness. Twitter at... Oh, <laughs> that'll be for the end. And that's in the Stay show notes. Stay tuned for know. the end. <laughs> in about three weeks. Uh, Another time, Joe. In the United States, it is Black History Month, and I am so excited to bring you all an episode about singer, producer, record label, executive, and the mother of hip-hop, Sylvia Robinson. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Quote, she could see things. Somebody might come up with an idea and she knew how to take key elements out of it, magnify it, and turn things into a recording. Sylvia was born on May 29, 1935 in Harlem, New York, to immigrant parents from the Virgin Islands. She was a bright and energetic girl, though, interestingly, she was shy. Sylvia attended Washington Irving High School but dropped out at the age of 14 and shortly after began recording music in 1950 for Columbia Records under the name Little Sylvia. That's impressive. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That she got that at um in the fifties, and also that Columbia Records is still around. Good yeah. for both. <laughs> Big things were on the horizon, and in nineteen fifty four, she teamed up with a guitarist by the name of Mickey Baker. 
there wasn't a blueprint for black women playing guitar in the music industry, and Sylvia was ready to make it herself, learning how to play while working with Mickey. Sick. Right? Yeah. In 1956, the two were known as Mickey and Sylvia. They recorded a really iconic song called Love is Strange. It topped the R&B charts and got to number 11 on the Billboard Pop charts in 1957. Are you still not able to place the song that I'm referring to? Think movies like Dirty Dancing and Casino. So, so have you gotten to the song that I'm referring to yet? No, I actually haven't. Okay. It's fine. I'll give you another hint. Come here, lover boy. That iconic scene where they're lip syncing and dancing in the... Talking about they're lip syncing and dirty dancing. Yes. I haven't seen that movie in years. That's not a good... That can't be... But you know what song it is, right? I mean, I vaguely remember... You know what? I'm going to be honest. I vaguely remember the movie, but in terms of the Okay, we're going to pause and then we're going to come back. Okay, we're back. I played the song that I was referring to. And it's like the most iconic song in the whole movie. Yeah, I knew which song you were talking about. Why didn't you say Love is Strange? I did. (laughs) (laughs) No, I knew that song. You should have sang it like her with the guitar and the whole accompanying band. You should have gotten the band. That's why I didn't get it. I am familiar, though. Yeah, see, it took a couple seconds. So it took hearing the song. Anyway, so this hit proved essentially impossible to follow and after a few more releases the duo split in 1958 sylvia took a day cruise up the hudson river and just so happened to meet one joseph robinson the couple married in 1959 and sylvia began her solo performance career after the split from mickey In 1960, Sylvia reportedly produced a record by Joe Jonas called You Talk Too Much. You never. (laughs) (laughs) For which she didn't receive credit for. And here is an excerpt from a Billboard article by Dan Charnas. Quote, Ahmet Erdogan and Jerry Wexler are lauded for the glories of Atlantic Records, not Miriam Abramson for whose accounting and collection kept the company solvent. Jim Stewart is celebrated as a pioneer of Memphis soul, less so Estelle Axton, without whose money and ear there would have been no stacks. Elvis Presley's discovery is ascribed to Sam Phillips when it was his assistant, Marion Kiesker, who initially recorded Presley and pushed Phillips to call him back in for the session that began his meteoric ascent. A black woman, Vivian Carter Bracken, was the first to license the Beatles for American distribution at her label VJ when Capitol Records passed. And Sylvia Robinson, as she and Joe tell the story, was behind the boards to record major hits for Ike and Tina Turner and Jones. End quote. The erasure of women's impact and like contributions in the music industry is way, way deeper than I ever knew because I did not know that any of those women were responsible for those things. Did you? No. And uh, to be honest, I feel like a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with that either. So yeah. I'm glad they're listening to this story along with <laughs> us, too. Uh, looks like we have a couple. We all have a couple things to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So. That was so news news anchory of you. How corporate. 
Wow. It's what? that that's like that's a that's like as if I had like passed you a script. What was that guy's name <laughs> from Survivor? The uh Rick uh Rick. Yeah, what was his, what was Wasn't his it thing? It, uh no, it was The uh, weather. He would do the weather. <laughs> Damn, I can't remember the majority of this. I'm so sorry I even brought it up. Anyway, Devins. Rick Devins. Devins. There it is. Rick Devins. <laughs> uh, this just in. <laughs> So Sylvia convinced Mickey to come and record a few more tracks with her in 1961 with a label called Willow Records. It was distributed by King Records of Cincinnati. So this is a big one. Mm -hmm. Mickey provided vocals in Robinson and Robinson played guitar on Ike and Tina Turner's It's Gonna Work Out Fine. Whoa. The record saw Ike and Tina receiving uh, their first Grammy Award nomination and Sylvia said in a 1981 interview with Black Radio Exclusive, quote, I paid for the session, taught Tina the song. That's me playing guitar. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love it. Legendary story. Amazing. <laughs> Becoming increasingly put off by the industry, Mickey Baker actually moved to Paris in 1964, effectively ending their partnership for good. Um, but it doesn't seem to have been on, like, bad terms or anything. He was just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go live in Paris. I'm going to see what Paris is, uh, <laughs> what's, what's going on in Paris in the 60s. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Probably epicness. Baguettes. <laughs> Croissants. Crepes. Crepes. <laughs> Unsure of where she belonged in music, the Robinsons actually moved to New Jersey to grow their family in 1966. So basically, after the end of their partnership, she was kind of like, there's not really a, a me anywhere. And I, you know, we're married. Let's have some kiddos. So they moved to New Jersey, but they didn't stay inactive for long in music. Here, they formed a soul label called All Platinum Records. A year later, Leslie Valentine brought the label their first hit with, with I Won't Do Anything. So why All Platinum Records and not Platinum Records, right? Like, Platinum Records sounds a little more, like, oomphy. Yeah. Well, they knew that their distributors paid in alphabetical order. Oh, so. genius. <laughs> absolutely genius <laughs> that's um, hilarious you're also like at the front of the phone book like smart they knew the game hilarious early on <laughs> granddaughter leah robinson said quote there are a lot of stereotypes and doubt and people saying i don't know if she can do this let her husband run this but she was like no I'm a genius, too. His genius matches my genius and made a whole genius company, which I love. I think that's just perfect. I, what a great way to describe, like, um, a way that you can be compatible with someone. Like, their genius matches my genius. I love that. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Ooh. <laughs> it's late, but it's fine. It's fine. It counts. It's never too late to find a Valentine or to celebrate a Valentine. <laughs> In 1968, they signed a Washington, D.C. act named The Moments. In 1970, the group scored their biggest hit, Love on a Two-Way Street, which Sylvia co-wrote and produced with Burt Keys. Through all of this, you may be thinking that Sylvia wasn't interested in performing herself anymore. 
And that would be understandable, but in 1972, she sent Al Green a demo of a song that she wrote called Pillow Talk. Green passed on the song due to his religious beliefs, finding its themes out of his comfort zone, so she decided to record it herself. I know you said Al Green, yeah. but something in my head made me want you to say Owl Green. <laughs> and I'm going to need um, like an animated like Pixar movie with like <laughs> animals an based off of like, <laughs> or even like, yeah, animals like doing like, you know, musicians, right? Oh my so God. an owl is playing Owl Green. Oh my gosh. You know, um, Eminem is an angry bird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fun, fun stuff like that. Things that tickle my fancy. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Angry Birds. So, the song actually became a major hit. It reached number one on the R&B charts, even having success with crossing over to reach the number three spot on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Yes. It even saw international success in the summer of 1973, reaching number 14 on the U.K. singles chart. Sylvia received a gold disc by RIAA in May of 1973, and she earned a nomination for a Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance at the 1974 Grammy Awards. Her subtle orgasmic gasps and moans predated Donna Summer's 1975 Love to Love You Baby. So Pillow Talk actually ushered in a new era of black women harnessing their power in music and confidently being the queen they are. Mm -hmm. So kind of incredible. I love that so much. Sylvia recorded four solo albums on Vibration Subsidiary and had other R&B hits like Sweet Stuff and Pussycat. In the 1970s, the Robinsons founded Sugar Hill Records, making a clean break from the now-bankrupt all-platinum records. The company was named after the Sugar Hill area in Harlem, Mm. an affluent African-American neighborhood in Manhattan that was a major hub for artists and performers in the early and mid-1900s. Oh, I love, I, used, I love hanging out in Sugar Hill. Um, I went to college up there in Harlem. Mm. So I was, I was there. I was hanging out in Sugar Hill probably like, like two or three, like two or three nights a week at least after class. And even just like during the day, it's just beautiful, vibrant, full of culture. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of strong, persevering individuals. And just a beautiful community overall. Cool. Yeah. Sylvia recalled one of her sons taking her to a club one night. Quote, As I was sitting there, the DJ was playing music and talking over the music, and the kids were going crazy. All of a sudden, something said to me, put something like that on a record, and it will be the biggest thing. I didn't even know you called it rap. From this experience, Sylvia's brainchild of this crazy next thing (laughs) was born. So Sylvia and her son Joey assembled three of his friends, none of whom were, like, experienced rappers, in the studio to write and perform a rap by the title of Rapper's Delight. Oh, snap. Yep. We're here? Yep. Oh, I love history. The group was called the Sugar Hill Gang. Mm. The 15-minute track caught... Fire, bringing rap into the public music arena by attaining one of the first commercially successful hip-hop songs. 
It revolutionized the music industry by introducing rap, scratch, and breakdance. It reached 37 on the Hot 100 charts and was the first track of its kind to sell over a million. Is it a hit? Hop, a hippie, a hippie to the hip, hip hop. You don't stop beat to the bang, bang. Oh man, no, that's that's so good. I mean, you, oh, that's mm-hmm. such a classic. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. excellent. Thank you, Sylvia, for bringing this together. And nobody mm. know. And you're a hip hop head, and you didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. It says a lot. Not about you, about the music industry. Mm-hmm. Henry Hendog Williams of the Sugar Hill Gang said, quote, she had a great ear. She knew a hit record when she heard it. If she didn't have that idea, who knows where hip hop would be today? That's the problem, you know. Uh, you know, she just, she did, she revolutionized the damn game. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just humble and you eat humble pie and you're just like well i'm just glad we all did this together like no damn it i wish more people were like yo sylvia get in the front of this come on should be sylvia and and the sugar hill gang and like yeah like that should have been the name that should have been the title she should have been the manager that's crazy (laughs) sylvia produced the record gave herself writing credits even though some of the lyrics were from Curtis Fisher, a.k.a. Grandmaster Curtis. Cass. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had tossed a notebook of his lyrics to Big Bang Hank, another of the Sugar Hill Gang, when they were just kind of like figuring it out. But she assembled it all together. It's a whole thing. Anyway, so the studio band played music by Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards, who had to retain um, attorneys to secure their credit on it. But, you know, it's okay. Grandmaster Kaz said, quote, Rapper's Delight was a monumental song. It introduced the world to rap and rhyming. Many New Yorkers, though, felt like the song misrepresented the scene. Quote, they weren't real rappers. They were a group put together to showcase the music going on. And I literally wrote in my question or in my script to turn to you and say, thoughts? Those, No. Those cats were rapping. Yeah. I do. You can't even tell me otherwise. Because <laughs> then if that's the case, please someone explain to us in the email, what is rap now? Yeah. <laughs> if, like, if not literally. It's yeah. All, it's all rap. Yeah. More. Actually, no, not more or less. But like what is commercially, what is commercial rap is still. No. Mm. It depends. There's so many different definitions now, of it. Now know? there's actual hip hip hop, hip hop, yeah. which is like top forty hip hop song, right? And rap, which is going to be a little bit more focused on um, lyrics as opposed to music production, right? That's a whole other episode, maybe a different podcast entirely. <laughs> but going back, they are they were definitely rappers. Yeah. Like how they were rapping. I'm laughing to the beat. Mm-mm. Well, even like, well, even that, at the time on the block. So what was the um for, so that is true, but um it's interesting. There's so people at the time who were like actually rapping on the street. So the Sugar Hill Gang didn't exist until the song. Sure. And so it's one of those things where yeah. it's like, but I think it still counts. Just because you're created for this thing doesn't mean that it's not that thing. Yeah. You know? No, those guys, I think it's interesting. Guys we're still doing, I mean, everybody, I don't want to specifically but, say yeah. guys, but no, the people on the block, they had the boom box and they were just chilling and they were, you know, spitting however many, mm-hmm. they weren't even, I only think they were like 16 at the time. They might have been like eight or mm-hmm. 24 it could mm-hmm. have been you know different 
bar, ver- you know, bars, yeah. but no. Rap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quote, she went to every record label there was in New York, trying to get a deal for Sugar Hill Gang, and they thought she was smoking. They said, this will never work. You don't know what you're talking about. No one will play a 15-minute song. Now, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> do they eventually get signed eventually? No, not. Damn. I was going to take a guess, but... Um, I mean, don't. I don't think so. I mm. actually didn't look it up, but I, I, I imagine they would have been like more in my research if they had because mm-hmm. it's one of her sons yeah you know? fair sugar hill records also acquired an all-female rap funk group called the sequence that featured a teenage angie stone also known as angie b they had a million selling hit in early 1980 with funk you up the label opened doors for independent labels that followed them Paula Wagner, a woman who rose from agent to producer to CEO of United Artists, said, quote, She wasn't afraid to be along in the creative wilderness. She had to face the music business in the 1970s, a very male-dominated world. Doug Wimbish said of Sylvia and arranger Sammy Lowe, so Doug Wimbish is one of the um, studio band members. I forgot to mention that. Quote, Maybe there was a bass line that was written out or they would hum it to me. We would construct the rhythm section first and she would give you the changes as you played through it. No, make it a little more funkier, a little less hi-hat here, change the beat. It's a shuffle. Doug, play a little more straight, more Motown here. Sylvia knew how to work with musicians. That's so sick that she was just like thematically telling them like, yo, play more like Motown. She's being like a like She's a like, conductor, being able mm-hmm. to less high hat. with the blood. <laughs> but you know who probably had to cut? They they definitely had to cut them a check was uh, Bruno Mars. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. <laughs> probably. Like definitely, it's they gotta had be. To, they had to clear like yeah. five figure check to yeah. the uh, label for sure. In 1981, the label had cornered the market on rap records and had blown up into a multi-million dollar empire. The whole thing was a family affair, with niece Donna playing promotional roles and Joey, an A&R rep, as well as an artist, as he was one half of West Street Mob. Early Sugar Hill Records omitted street culture by concentrating on the rapper, almost forgetting the role of the DJ. (laughs) The error was corrected in 1981 with The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, which paved the way for the golden age of hip-hop and drove the trend of break-loop, sample-driven songs. Oh, my, my, I'm, my skin is tingling. I love this conversation. Please <laughs> keep going. This is amazing. Sylvia, Grandmaster Flash, and the Furious Five broke the mold once again. It's like the in Avengers. In 1982. God, <laughs> everyone cool is coming together to save Earth, sing, or rap. Sylvia produced a record called The Message, discussing what life in the ghetto was really like. Initially, the participants weren't exactly on board. They didn't want it to affect the party image that was being highlighted. And it ended up becoming one of the most influential and impacting tracks of all time. Yeah, you said the message and I turned the other way. I knew exactly (laughs) what... Oh my goodness. On December 5th, 2012, Rolling Stone selected it as one of the 50 greatest hip-hop songs of all time. Mm -hmm. They asked 33 artists and experts from every genre of music from Busta Rhymes, Boots Riley, The Coup, and Mike Diamond. 
The numbers were crunched, and the message placed number one on the list. Yeah. Grandmaster Flash said, quote, And when that project was on the slate to be done, the message I'm talking about, she would ask us for a period of time about doing a recording having to do with the real-life things that happen in the hood, and we kind of ducked it for a minute. So I think it's really interesting that they really just were not on board with it, but it makes sense. You you're cultivating a brand, an image, a a a, a, a lifestyle, a yeah. a stage moniker, you know. And uh, she's like, no, why don't we make it real? Like, why don't we make this real? I mean, the the lyric is, um, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. And it's like that totally resonated with the time. I mean, you know, the existence of living in. New York City in the 70s and Mm -hmm. 80s, people trying not to go under. The Bronx was on fire. Son of Sam was running wild. Well, yeah. These streets were like not, I mean, you know, like my family, they were just chilling on the block 13, 12. Yeah. Hardly speaking English. Yeah. Getting into fights. Yeah. Yo. Oh, the time. They just, and Sylvia was like one of the. She's one of the it was her idea. It was her idea. It was literally her idea. Damn, we need more of these stories. Well, they just need to be told. They exist already. Damn, we need to hear more of these stories. Damn, <laughs> so... next season four, all women hip hop. <laughs> Done. So what's really interesting too, Hamilton fans out there, there's actually um a nod to the message in um uh cabinet battle. Yeah, in the cabinet battle. Mm-hmm. Um uh Sometimes it makes me Hamilton, wonder why he even brings the thunder. Why he even brings the thunder? Yeah. So claps and I'm this, just like, you don't even understand. This, this, is- this song is something that is, I mean, one of the most, without it, where's, honestly, where's hip hop? I think it would have taken a lot longer to get to a place totally. where it could be, you know? Yeah. And I just kind mm-hmm. of insane. So cash flow, back to the story, cash flow problems with the label made them look for corporate partners. And unfortunately, their reputation preceded them a little bit. An internal memo at Columbia cast them as the Black Mafia, which turned out to be ironic as they turned to the mob to facilitate a pressing and distribution deal with MCA for no money up front and the chess recordings then the chess records catalog was held as collateral against any losses. That is so upsetting. That sucks. <laughs> so you know the worst part is a lot of artists still get caught with that whack deal now. Yeah. And they end up having they they don't own any of their royalties. They yeah. end up getting like two, three, four million dollar loans, but yep. they have to pay them back with yep. like ten percent interest over yep. the course of. Yeah. It's, it's bad. No, nah, that's like modern day. No. Yeah. No, it's just it's awful. Bad. Sylvia had a little bit of a reputation for fighting with her musicians. She know she knew how to talk to them, but she also like she's could be a little eh. and she dealt with numerous lawsuits with them. Wimbish, the house band player that I mentioned earlier, said, quote, they had a way of running stuff. Like it was just give this person enough to make them happy. They leased them a few cars, gave them stuff that they always wanted, as long as they didn't have any access to their money. Soon as you pissed them off, they would cut you off and ice you. So that's no bueno. Whoops. For him, the last straw was when he and Mel composed and recorded a song for a soundtrack to Miami Vice. 
He said, quote, I played every instrument on it, and it was credited to L. Robinson, Sylvia's middle son. Quote, she gave my credit to Leland for a high school graduation present. Leland wasn't even in the studio, but Leland responded saying he wrote it. And, quote, I produced that song. I did the drum track. Doug didn't write that. So I actually don't know the actual answer to we'll that drama. We'll just say it drama. was Sylvia. <laughs> we'll just say it was hers. Let these boys f- figure it out another day. One of the members of the Sugar Hill Gang said, quote, No matter what you've heard, she was like a surrogate mother when we first started out. A man always loves his mother, and she was making sure we had the best tracks, made sure we had nice clothes, broke us up some advances here and there. So I think it's, you know, one of those, they love her. They loved her still. She just had a bit of a reputation for. She got them together, though, you know, like. Well, and this was also with like the house band and like various clients. But yes, it's one of those things where they're like, oh, you've heard things. Mm -hmm. And those things are true, but other things can also be true at the same time, you know? Yeah. In 1985, Sugar Hill had to fold due to numerous factors. Changes in the music industry, competition from other labels like Profile and Def Jam, Mm -hmm. money and reputation issues like we were just talking about. So they formed Bon Ami Records in 1989. They signed a group called The New Style whom later left and found success as Naughty by Nature, mm-hmm. proving that she still had an eye for talent, even if it always didn't work out. Yeah, the the, the changing of the time. I mean, if you it's, think about it, like, she came in, yeah. Out. It, yeah. It, it wouldn't just, have worked out for them. Yeah. The music was either getting grittier, like the West Coast, or like more of like a jazz standard on the East Coast. Yeah. In 1990, Joseph and Sylvia divorced, but they kept it civil with one another, not wanting the divorce to really affect the family dynamic with their, you know, with their kids. Sylvia rebranded once again and created Diamond Head Record in 1994. The writing was on the wall, though, that hip-hop had creatively left her behind. In the late 1990s, Joe was stricken with cancer and died in 2000. Quote, I think she lost the will to live after he passed. She wasn't the same. Oh. I know. In 2003, Moby sampled her song Sunday for his song, Sunday, the day before my birthday. (laughs) And actually, this is quite interesting. In 2005, Sylvia discussed Rapper's Delight in Vanity Fair. She said, quote, I made a lot of people millions and I got jerked. I didn't get nothing. Damn, this industry is cold. That sucks. The literal person who created it got left behind and not even included in the narrative. That never happened. Or that doesn't happen that frequently. Like the guy who found. Are you kidding? Well, no. I mean, for women you're talking about or in general. In the industry. For women. Yeah. No, in the industry. It's constant. Oh, yeah. No, but I'm saying in the music... Hold on. My whole point was going to be, like, a lot of the males in the industry, like, they end up, like, getting getting more than I think what they... And, like, what the reputation, um, like, is deserved for them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, like, the women, they do not... I mean, they're unheard of or they do not get properly compensated. I mean, literally the fact that it was her idea. Yeah. Her whole thing. And it Mm -hmm. just 
no one even knows who she is. She, she got the short end of the stick. That's not she what got she, no that's... end of the stick. She had to like fold her record companies, you know? It's crazy. Messed up. Sylvia passed away on September 29th, 2011 at age 76 in Secaucus, New Jersey due to congestive heart failure, unfortunately. She is actually reportedly one of the inspirations behind Taraji P's character on Empire, Cookie Leon. Sick. Right? In 2014, there's a drunk history episode titled American Music, and it features her, played by Retta, best known for her work as Donna on Parks and yeah. Rec. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Yeah, I knew Perfect. When you said that. That was great <laughs> casting. So Sylvia Robinson has a complex story with shining brilliance and a few below-board tendencies. I want to leave you with this quote from my primary source, the Billboard article I mentioned earlier, written by Dan Charnis. Quote, From Mel to Curtis Blow, from Russell to Rick, from Latifah to Missy, Biggie to Tupac, Jay to Dame, Kim to Foxy, Wayne to Drake, Nikki to Cardi, Every dollar hip-hop earns, mother made it possible. That is a thousand percent true. That is so true. Her estate should be getting, like, checks weekly from any number of Literally artists. every single artist that exists. Even pop, like, pop artists. <laughs> yep. Like I mentioned earlier, Bruno Country. Mars Uptown Funk. Country. Yeah, no, of course. I mean... Yeah. You could even uh, tap into the Christian scene. They got Christian rappers. You know, yeah. the problem the problem with the industry today is it's way more of a machine than it is than it was back then. So like Yeah, but even still someone... she didn't get that credit. No, yeah, but like you're like that not to say that that's to be expected back then because the rules and regulations weren't as clearly defined as they are now. Mm-hmm. Now they pillage these artists. Mm-hmm. Now you get Less than a dime. Mm-hmm. You don't even get the word dime. Mm-hmm. You don't even get, like, you get so, you get, like, you really get, like, you know, gypped. So, mm-hmm. like, back then, I mean, the fact that she accomplished as much as she did, I mean, she probably lived, like, uh, several lifetimes of some of these artists mm. and to, and is getting, like, a droplet and got, like, a droplet of, like, oh, yeah. the success, mm-hmm. the recognition and, you know, everything that she deserves. I think it's, yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. And I find something so interesting in the idea that, you know, a lot of people are like, uh, women can't be rappers. Like, women shouldn't be in hip-hop. I, it's, it's really kind of wild. And then, you know, like, you do know, though, that, like, She's the reason that this industry exists. Like, she knew that there was a market there that, like, the world needed to hear what was happening on the, on, like, on the block like that. She heard the music and the value in it and then even further saw that it could be a facilitator of a deeper meaning than we're partying on the block. Like, the fact that, like, that type of genius was was coming from her and then to not even be, I mean, I have to tell you that I, the hip-hop book that I got for you for mm-hmm. Christmas doesn't have her in it. That is unfortunate. Um, you know? And that's, that's actually, it's you know, yeah, that's, shameful. That's but... just so kind of crazy. Anyway, I, guess... I hope you guys liked this uh, yeah. <laughs> musical episode. That was great. This was a great 
way to end our season three. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Thank you so much, historians, for tuning in again. Subscribe, follow, tell your friends, coworkers. Come back this Friday for an interview with Paralympic champion swimmer and disability advocate Liz Johnson. She shares with us when she decided she was going to be a Paralympian, co-founding the Ability People, and so much more. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty freaking awesome. Follow us on social media. Instagram. At Women of Her Story Podcast. TikTok. At Women of Her Story. Facebook. Women of Her Story. Twitter. At The Her Story Pod. And you can visit our website at www.ofherstory.com <laughs> backslash does anybody do www dot anymore no you only people who have AOL <laughs> shouts out to AOL God. shouts out to googling Google and Google Ugh. you ever Google Google guys doesn't make any sense if you Google the it. word um if you go to the like Google search page and you search askew like a s k e w um, the page itself goes a little crooked and off center, and it like almost gives you vertigo. Okay, I'm gonna do that. It's later actually on really just awesome. To test it. Um, I'm probably gonna ask Jeeves how he feels about that too. <laughs> well, until next week for bloopers and a bonus interview to close out our season. Well, and also Friday. So no, until Friday, and also next week <laughs> with the bloopers and a bonus interview to close out our season. Be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Drink water. Um, hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Be nice to everybody. Do one good deed a week. Um, and stay fresh, yo. Oh, boy. Okay, bye. Bye. I mean, neither of us said that. I don't know who said that. But.